Welcome back to the Stark Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Stark, and today I have David Harris with us from Freight Farm Headquarters located in Boston. So welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Christy. We use the podcast just to educate people on different uh, professions. Um, I have myself knee deep in agriculture, so I just wanted, I feel like every time I talk about it, it's kind of a deer in the headlights if they don't know anything about agriculture. Um, so I thought this would be a great way to introduce it and just kind of give someone um, who is zero familiar with container farming or have no clue what that even is, just kind of give them an intro of what that might be. Absolutely. Um, so then... Just to get started, container farming is a fairly new industry. Um, It kind of arose from the need for controlled environment agriculture and the increase in popularity of it. So controlled environment agriculture is essentially indoor cultivation, um, plant cultivation, where you control basically all of the environmental variables. So you control the air temperature, the humidity, the CO2 levels even. Um, and then in our case, in a lot of hydroponic situations, you're also controlling the water parameters as well. So that's the pH of the water, the temperature of the water, the nutrient levels of the water as well. Um, so basically taking as many variables out of the growing process as possible. And container farming basically looked at the, the world that we have today and said, what is the most popular, available, and, you know, applicable um, shell, you know, um, basically, what is the the easiest way to make this, to make this happen on a commercial scale and shipping containers, our entire world, believe it or not, is actually kind of structured around shipping containers. So you see these chassis, these 40 foot trucks that can go everywhere. Um, they are a standardized size. They fit on every single, you know, transatlantic ship that you can think of. Um, a lot of our infrastructure is really built around the shipping container as this kind of modularized unit. So it made a lot of sense. Um, and I think our company, Freight Farms, was started back in 2011, I want to say. It was officially founded um, by John Friedman and Brad McNamara. And... We produced the first prototype unit in 2013. And from there, we've iterated and designed a lot of different types of units, all with the goal in mind of making, basically growing food, um, democratizing that and making it available to anybody that wants to do it, making it as simple as possible, and also giving you the greatest amount of control. So now we are on our latest iteration of the farm, which is called the Greenery S. And it is uh, leaps and bounds further along than anything we've ever produced before. And we're really proud of it. Yes. So I got to see the Greenery S. That's the one that you guys have uh, there at the headquarters. Now, how many countries would you say you guys have touched on so far as far as Freight Farm? Ooh, um, over 40. Yeah, I was going to say, I know it's extensive. So I hate to put you on the spot like that. I, I knew it was a lot. And I mean, I've been following you guys and kind of stalking you guys on Instagram. There's Freight Farm. I have friends that are from Egypt that have family in Egypt. So I'd seen one in Egypt and I sent it to all of them. I was like, look. So Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really cool. What's probably one of your, I'm sure that's probably one of your warmest climates. 
what do you think one of your warmest climates is that has a freight farm to be able to sustain their own um, produce? So there are a lot of warm places that these go. I kind of, uh, I do a little bit of stocking myself. I look at our, um, as part of previously being on the support team, uh, my role was to support customers in the field. So I would often look at their readings, their temperature readings. And um, I believe the hottest I ever saw with my own eyes was in Kuwait, uh, 120 degrees Fahrenheit outside. So that was really, really hot. And that, but that is a very dry climate as well. Um, so desert style climate, but then we also have very, very hot and humid climates as well that these, uh, these units run in. So a lot of the Caribbean islands where it can get well over a hundred degrees, but then can, the humidity can climb up to 90 plus percent as well. Yeah. So a really wide variety, but some really, really hot places. While I was growing up, my grandmother's actually from Mexico um, and her, my grandpa and my eight aunts and uncles and my dad uh, migrated from Mexico up to Oregon um, when they were very young. And she was a laborer on a um, berry picking farm. So from a young, very young age, we've been kind of engulfed in agriculture. And uh, it's kind of fun to see it like come full circle. I've talked to someone else who we were talking about things that we did when we were younger and uh, it's just kind of crazy to think that we were involved so young and then now we're uh, back where we started a little bit. I've been talking to my dad about it and he's like, it's so wild. Um, did you, do you feel like you had experience when you were younger that uh, influenced kind of where you are now for work and your career in agriculture? Definitely. And um, really interesting to hear your background as well and see kind of all the different sides of agriculture that have influenced you, um, you know, from the the entrepreneurial side of actually starting a, a business around a freight farm, plus, you know, having the background of your, your grandmother actually working on a farm as well. Um, for me, it's somewhat similar, um, but also, you know, a little dissimilar as well. My grandfather was a farmer in Michigan. Um, he recently passed away, but he was a, he was farming well into his seventies, um, mostly, you know, um, commodity crops, so corn and soybeans. Um, but that was his livelihood, his entire life. I remember going there as a kid, spending some time on some tractors, in barns, etc. Um, and then I did grow up briefly on a, um, I wouldn't call it a farm necessarily, but there was definitely a large piece of land in West Virginia uh, for a couple of years. Um, at some point in my life, kind of the formative years of my life between about 12 and 18. And uh, that really left its impact on me as well. And then more recently, uh, my brother and I started a small agriculture company as well, um, well, produce company. And um, that was kind of the, the full circle, um, very similar to what you described. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's, a, that's one of the things I found has been... Um a consistency in interviews with people is that they kind of have this implementation of uh, whatever they, you know, ended up now in their grown up life, you know, had some focus on it as a child or introduction. So uh, we always talk about how those things kind of stick with you. So that's, that's fun to see how yours also was kind of similar to that. Have you guys had, I saw when I was there that there were some cool, uh, things that you guys were growing in the greenery as, um, I'm trying to think one of them that I was really excited about was the hops. 
and it looked uh-huh. like someone was just, I don't know who that was, but I was like, hey, what is this? And we were all laughing that we were focusing on the lettuce and I find this one plant in the back. Um, but I thought that was very innovative. Have you had any other innovative ideas come up like that, that you've seen where someone's trying to grow something that maybe is not so common or uh, experienced? Yes, lots of times. Um, so just to, you know, so your your listeners know, we have 300 to 400 of these units out there in the world, all around the world. So as you can imagine, everybody uses them a little bit differently. So we have, um, you know, as far as experimental crops grow, I've seen strawberries, tomatoes, cucumbers, um, some root vegetables as well. So turnips and and radishes are fairly common, but also um, carrots. We've seen hemp and cannabis grown as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Hops, of course, those are the the ones that we're actually running some tests on now. Um, I like to tell people you can grow anything in a freight farm. You could grow oak trees if you wanted to, but really what it comes down to is, is it economically viable? And when you take that part out of the equation and you know, let's say um, you're either a nonprofit or you are a, let's say you're even a small business farmer, but you want to dedicate just a little bit of your space to just pure R&D, the, the opportunities are endless, really. And um, they really it's really are. cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> really, it really is. And it's like you said, you know, your, your point about um, the educational benefits of a freight farm, um, you know, when you were talking about the New York city public schools is really one of the coolest aspects of it too, because you get to see a plant develop from seed all the way through to harvest. And that process of watching plants grow and understanding the nutritional needs and um, just watching how they respond to different environmental conditions is really interesting. Um, Even if you don't necessarily know everything that's going on, just watching and and kind of putting together these patterns and recognizing, um, little things along the way, like, oh, wow, I didn't see that leaf there yesterday. Interesting. Now it's there. How did that happen? Right. And then two days later, it's like, oh, now there are four more leaves. Wow. This is growing exponentially. Those little findings that that kind of insights that you gain along the way are just so interesting and rewarding. Um, so Very even for rewarding. whether it's for children yes. or, or adults, it's it's equally rewarding. I'd say the the best story that I have about a freight farm that really kind of like made me understand the benefits of it um, in the real world where I was working with a gentleman um, who I had been in touch with quite a bit and then sort of suddenly just kind of fell off the map. He stopped responding. Um, and this was right around Christmas time a couple years ago, maybe 2017. And um, so he just didn't respond for multiple weeks. Um, and then right around probably mid, mid January or so he did write me back finally. And, um, he had had a heart attack, a massive heart attack on Christmas day. Um, and it put him in the hospital obviously. Uh, and he was in there recovering over Christmas and new years. Um, and then finally was, was out of the hospital about, you know, the second week of January. And, um, he was running a farm at the time. And, uh, he told me I went back to my farm for the first time 
in three weeks. And at this point, he he really didn't have a partner at the time. He was running it by himself, so he didn't have anyone to check in on it. And he expected to walk into, you know, a, a container full of dead plants, essentially. And he opened the door and he walked in and he said, David, those were some huge, healthy heads of lettuce that I walked into. It was like I had never... It's like nothing had ever happened. Like I just left it to run and I came in three weeks later and the produce looked amazing. That and is an amazing story. I feel so good even hearing that. That was one, probably one of my favorite stories. Awesome. You. Well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. Thanks for okay, having me, goodbye. Christy. This podcast is sponsored by Stark Standard. We like our business like we like our coffee. Stark Strong.